How's it going, man? Hi. <laughs> Long time no see. I know. Little traveler. <laughs> yeah. I'm back on this side of the planet. Yeah. How was uh how were your travels? Uh pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty awesome for a bunch of reasons. Um first of all, like just the flights were really kind of actually wonderful because I think I told you I did the like credit card point hacking thing and then redeemed a bunch of miles and so flew very fancy class both ways um which was really makes a difference like i had one like 12 hour flight that i slept for 10 hours because i was in like a big comfy bed with a door it was yeah that is awesome i'm gonna have to try that method of travel i haven't really done anything beyond just standard economy but i do always have the the thing i think we talked about this before where i pretty much always try to get a exit row seat or something just because long legs you know makes a big difference yep the yeah the the length makes a big difference but man having your own little pod is was it was delightful and then like the food is really good so it's like they serve you like a six course delicious meal and it's just it's pretty awesome what could have been a very painful uh, travel experience was actually great Uh, and then the actual time in hong kong was really wonderful Um, really fun working on someone else's business it was just like, there's like no, there's no anxiety. It's like consulting, right? It's like, there's like no anxiety. It's like, you know, you know, you're leaving. You feel like you have like total clarity on everything because you have no emotional connection to it. But also like he was at a really good stage um, for me to be able to help out. He's been building for three months. It's a Rails app. And so there was like enough stuff there that I could kind of dive in and clean some stuff up. Like one of the first things we did was, was a bunch of like performance improvements because there were a couple like naive queries generating pages where it was just like, you know, a thing.each and a thing.each and a thing.each. Like, so n plus ones. Yeah, like n plus, n plus a million kind of thing. <laughs> there, was a, there was a whole bunch. So we took like a couple pages down from like, you know, literally thousands of queries down to a small handful, which is like very gratifying work. Mm-hmm. So we did some perf stuff and then we refactored a bunch of things and just just transferring a lot of like rails knowledge and also but also like just general like environment stuff so like i was helping him like create some aliases and uh he started using vim and i was kind of i was like you know driving and sort of giving vim instruction on the fly which was really fun quick aside you'll be proud of me i have been doing a little bit of vim tutor stuff in the mornings yeah oh that's cool and are you using vim for any of the, the work during the day yet um not yet i actually am considering trying it today i haven't made it through fully through the end of the tutorial yet but i mean even just getting my fingers like used to the hjkl like and remembering muscle memory which direction each key is mm-hmm. <laughs> is yep. taking a little bit of time uh yep. so it's a little frustrating as i'm fumbling through but I've kind of felt this for a while that like I, I'm not super efficient in my editor. So and just, you know, hearing you talk about it all the time and see and every time I see someone live code or I just watch, you know, impairing with someone who's using something like that, it's I'm like, I, I really need to up my game on this. So just just adding to my plate of new skills that I'm trying to add to my tool belt all at the same time, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a reasonable one. It's it's a bit of a painful ramp, I will admit. Like the the first day of watching my friend Dan like do like do his basically first day of Vim. It's 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 hard. You're definitely slower. There's lots of like thinking, but like the second day was noticeably better. And the third day it was like, okay, this isn't really like this isn't painful anymore. It's like, you know, it, it it's it's it doesn't take that long. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a huge cost. One question I have real quick on that on that subject is 
What do you do for file browsing or jumping between files in a project? Is that do you use just sort of what's baked into Vim or do you have plugins that you use for that type of I use a plugin thing? called Control P, which does fuzzy finding. Okay. I've I've come across that one when I was kind of Googling it, but this is where it gets a little fuzzy for me is like is there a happy path of like using um you know only what's baked in or are there like a curated set of plugins that are really well maintained um, there there is a thing called janus which is that where it's like a lot of configuration done for you and some plugins included i actually don't recommend new people use it because it just does so much for you i think it's better to start with mostly stock vim i actually have a blog post called your first vimrc should be mostly empty uh, <laughs> nice. and I, I also link to a bare bones vimrc to get people going because there are a couple things you should set that are just like okay this should be the default it happens to not be but just do this uh, but I think there's value in sort of understanding what like out of the box Vim is like, and then slowly adding plugins and things like that. Yeah, cool. Maybe I'll yeah. have to check that out. We can link yeah. it up too. And mining other people's VimRCs for plugins and tricks is like a great way to spend 10 minutes in the morning. If you're just trying to level up your game, like just to, and then like pull out like one thing. Like you're like, oh, that's a cool way to handle that. And then you add a little bit to your thing. And like you're slowly accreting a VimRC over time that you actually understand. That's valuable. That's cool. Yeah. 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 But that was a trip for me. Like I, I'm a, I've been a Vim evangelist for a long time. So like convincing another person to do it and watching him live and like seeing him get better and like slowly being like, and you know, there's this new, this is, you know, there's a faster way to do the thing you just did. So like, let me tell you about this thing. And it was very satisfying. And I was pumped that he would, he was willing to take the plunge. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. Uh, so I was there for two weeks and we spent basically most of the first week refactoring, cleaning stuff up, improving things. Didn't really add, I'm not sure we actually added any features. But we did a lot of cleanup. After about a week, I was like, you know, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable because we've been building a lot and writing a lot of code. And, and you've been building for a few months now, but like we haven't really talked to any customers. Like, how do we know that this is what people want, that we're heading in the right direction? I'm fairly convinced that if we talk to some people, it will impact the, the course you're taking. And so he was down and uh, did some cold outreach. We ended up scheduling three basically demos with Mandarin schools in Hong Kong. And so we brought what we had built, showed it off to them. And it was exactly that that happened where it was like, it was lots of good feedback, lots of interesting ideas came out of it, some ideas for change of direction, um, some like fairly substantial positioning changes. Just by luck, we had the perfect set of meetings where the first person we met with was sort of uh, not on the super sophisticated side. And the second person was clearly a step up from that. And the third person was a big step up from that. So like each meeting, we got better at the meeting. And the person we were talking to got more sophisticated. Earlier, people were like, oh, this is amazing. And the last person was like, eh, it's fine. But like, it would have to do a lot more before I would like consider showing this to my students. And so it was really kind of an interesting ramp up. Yeah, that's cool. Like, I suspect there are not too many like software consultants who will help you like get your code base more performant and then flip over to business development. And like, <laughs> yeah. like, that's like a super powerful combination. If you ever did forget about this whole building software for a living thing and just go into consulting, like, you know, what an interesting combination of things. Because if you think about it, when you're building a new startup or an MVP, like that customer development process is equally important as like getting your code base solid. So yep. And this approach, by the way, is ripped fully from ThoughtBot. Like ThoughtBot has that sort of baked into the cultural DNA there, where it's like, we're not interested in just like building you an MVP based on a thing you've told us. It's like, you know, all right, like, let's do a design sprint to explore the space. But let's also definitely get some people in here, potential customers, uh, show them some things, get feedback. 
I learned that elsewhere, but yeah, it's, it's, it works. And it was, it was just awesome to see like by the end of the third meeting, there were some major changes in ideas and positioning and direction and all that. And I was like, yeah, that's great. That's exactly, I was like hoping that would happen just to sort of hammer home the point that like, it's easy to build in a vacuum and get it mostly right, but not quite right, or be totally wrong. Like you, you just have to get in front of people, get out of the building and, and talk to people. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I felt I felt very good. I felt like I, I provided a lot of value. And like, it was just great to see my friend. We've been friends a long time. So it was just like, we didn't work every day. We took a couple of days off and like did a beach trip and a boat trip. And even on the days we were working, we probably never worked more than five or six hours. So it was it was a really nice balance. It was like kind of a perfect working vacation. Having the thing to work on, I think made the trip way more fun. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to do like exclusively just travel and tourism, you know, exactly. Yeah, like that gets exhausting. It's like, how many new sites do you want to see and restaurants do you want to try and whatever. And having a bit of a routine and a collaborative project like really made the trip great. Like we went to the gym almost every day, like the same gym. But like we were we felt fit and healthy. And we were eating like, you know, nutritious food as opposed to trying every restaurant under the sun. And it was just like, damn, I feel great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's the way to travel, man. (laughs) Yeah. That, that, that would that would be a fun uh, consulting engagement, right? It's like two weeks of programming and uh, biz dev and, you know, I don't know, that, just, that sounds cool in a cool location. Like if you're doing that under the, under the umbrella of a company, you could just write all that off, you know? Exactly. Be... <laughs> well, someone, <laughs> yeah. someone said, they're like, you should write that all off. That was international. That was just consulting. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's kind of true. This is a game I'm not, I'll have to get good at or I would like to get good at now that it's an option. Like what, what can, what's a business expense? <laughs> Are you a Seinfeld fan? Uh, no, unfortunately. No, I'm not an anti-fan. I'm just am not familiar. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a really funny episode where they're just like, the whole premise is just like, you just write it off. That's what businesses do. So like Kramer's like doing, spending money super frivolously. It's like, I'm just going to write it off. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Every time I say that, it reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, can't recommend that enough. Maybe like a year from now, if uh, I have a little more time, I can uh, go do this with him again, or maybe even someone else out there is thinking, "Hey, I should have Ben come do this for me." That sounds sounds like fun too. Yeah, just take a just take a junket every couple of uh, months. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. Plus, it's <laughs> honestly con- like consulting, quote unquote, is just so fun because, like I said, like there's just no stress to it. Where it's like I've given you a bunch of good ideas, now you have to go do them, and if they're wrong, well, you'll discover that later. And I just sound right right now. Yep, that's totally. And if you heard a few episodes back when Rob was on, he was talking about taking on some doing some founder consulting. And I think he's going to get some similar like, get the good parts without the stress of actually having to do it. So uh, it's a fascinating model, I think. Yeah. So so speaking of that, uh, so Rob Walling uh, took my spot three times. Yeah, that's, that's like Sorry a borderline coup right there. He was attempting to stage a coup. We, uh, I offended, I defended your position. So did you though? Yeah, it didn't y- sound y- like you did it that much. Well, you know, I had to play along. Um, uh-huh. I see. You know, he, he, we were in the same room together, so I had to mm. speak carefully. But could have uh, hurt you. But your position is is safe. Phew. Yeah, I mean, you were like, hey, maybe while you're gone, I'll have some guests on. And I was like, oh, that sounds reasonable. And then it's the same guest every time. And he's well, like, I did. Uh, the plan originally was like, I'll just have Rob on for one episode. And we went for, I think it was an hour and 10 minutes or something. And my hard drive almost filled up. But I think we both had like a bunch more things to talk about. And he did come prepared. So he had his own like literally envelope with things scratched on the back of it of topics to talk about. So yeah, I think in his in his retirement or self-employment, as he's calling it, uh, he's has a lot of time to uh, think up interesting topics to uh, 
to talk about. So yeah, totally. So it turned into three episodes. Well, all right. It's, the the word got out too. People on Twitter are like, "Oh, cool! Rob's the new host of Art of, Art of Product." Oh, geez, I know. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, no. So, all right. So, Rob Walling, I will fight you. Just so you know, <laughs> we'll arm wrestle for this uh, this host position. Let it be known, yeah. stated here. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter, uh, I noticed you have are, are leaning into the fire tips technique. Yes, the hot tips. Yeah. Um, totally talk about ripped that? that off from. Well, yeah. So I've been seeing our mutual friends Adam Wathen and Steve Shoger both sort of using this with great success. And basically, the idea is posting small hot tips uh, with the prefixed by the fire emoji and just little nuggets of knowledge with uh, usually with a accompanied by an image that kind of illustrates the point those tend to spread around pretty virally if they're useful and Adam talked about this at microconf how he grew his twitter following from a couple hundred to 20,000 in the span of a year pretty much by just switching to this template of posting regular stream of little nuggets of knowledge. Yeah, I'm basically just borrowing that technique, but applying it to some of the tech that I'm working on. So I'm sort of rotating between Elixir hot tips and Elm hot tips. And I did have done a few design ones um, here and there. And uh, they're seeming to get some pretty good uptake. So yeah, I'm I see pleased. a decent number of uh, like likes and some retweets and stuff on this. Yeah. Have you been watching your follower count at all? I have. Yeah, it's grown by a couple hundred, I think, in the last few months. So legit. Seems decent. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Every time I every time I do one that that does circulate around, I get, you know, usually between 10 and 20 new followers. So kind of my goal right now is to do one a day, um, one per work week day. So far, I haven't run out of them. I think it might get a little tricky a few weeks down the line. But it's sort of a ritual now. I wake up in the morning and as I'm sipping my coffee, I'm like perusing through the code base, looking around at what's what's something interesting I can post about today. So it's kind of a, a fun way to start off the day too. The goal is is like, you know, audience growth, I assume, yeah. like follower growth. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes over time, like what the rate is. And as you're attracting people with these, they're probably the kind of people that are interested in those things. And so maybe we'll like amplify them later. So if you pick up 50 followers in a month and they're all into the fire tips and you keep making them and then they start retweeting them to their followers and I could see a sort of a flywheel thing happening here. Yeah, hopefully it'll go a little bit hockey stick, you know, we're like or a little <laughs> bit of an exponential curve where it sort of like starts to compound on itself. I think that's what happened with Steve, too. So, yeah, I think so. Um, so that'd be kind of cool. And I mean, it's funny to see the kind of the ratio of popularity of things like I've posted a few Git related tips and those those tend to circulate around, you know, get in, on the order of several hundred likes and, you know, 50 or so retweets or whatever. And then Elixir ones get a little bit less circulation and Elm ones get the least. Um, but I think it probably just correlates with the relative obscurity of the of the language. Yeah, your GitHub one has 173 re- retweets right now. Yeah, that one that one really spread around. I think it got a retweet from uh, one of the GitHub co-founders too, uh, like Scott Chacon. Um, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, so cool yeah it's fun and it's also like um i will say it's it's pleasing to see things spread around like that and and see the you know notifications come through and it's just hard like i'm having to make sure i don't look at notifications too often and keep twitter closed or else it just distracts me all day long so (laughs) for sure yeah yeah i'm I'm sort of inspired by what you're doing because i haven't really been doing much on twitter i mostly like i retweet a little bit here and there but i haven't really been tweeting that much 
And I have seemed to have reached a steady state where the followers I gain and the followers I lose are about the same most days slash months. Um, I've been hovering just about the same number for a while. But you know, it wouldn't hurt to have more. So... And especially since you're since you're now you know marketing to developers uh, for this new mm-hmm. product, like it helps mm-hmm. to. I love the hot tips, which is why you know I really started paying extra attention to Adam and Steve once I really was you know seeing all the stuff they were putting out. So I think it's a great way to just provide value too because it's 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 so digestible. You know, I used to link off to the level code base. I did that a few times, and those didn't really circulate around much, just because it's it's a little extra hurdle of like clicking through a link and and trying to look at you know whatever I'm whatever point I'm trying to make. So thinking about how to package them up into small little nuggets, I think is super valuable. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the goal is to build more of an audience, but the way you're doing it is by being useful. Yeah, it's just it's just that just feels just that feels good to me. I'm down yeah. with that. Yeah, you're not totally. just like, hey, level's cool. Hey, hey, I made this thing called level. I'm working on a thing called level. Do you want to buy it? I like the the approach. Be useful on the internet. It's a good good way of thinking about Adam. Yep, it is. Yeah. Uh, what else is new in your world? I have some stuff too, but yeah. So I've been pretty heads down, still building product, and I am doing today. Actually, I'm I'm going to be whiteboarding with Rob. We kind of talked about this a little bit on a previous episode, but one of the things I want to I'm trying to f- get nailed down is a pretty critical component of level. And that's sort of categorizing the different types of communication that that need to be managed through level and then figuring out how best to present that in the application and how that flows from, you know, into people's inboxes and how it's presented to users as they, you know, step away from the product for six hours and come back. And, and how do I make sure that urgent things are flowing through in a timely manner and non-urgent things are not interrupting people. So I sort of started a, a spreadsheet where I am listing out the different types of communication that needs to be refined. And then I need to come up with some a few patterns for the user interface. And once I get that nailed down, that's what I'm planning to get in front of users. So I'm going to reach out to, to some of the list and, and present those to them. But I want to get that nailed down because um, that's been my, my one hesitation with doing rounds of mockups is I want to make sure it's actually going to be something concrete and useful. And I think this is going to be probably the best thing to get feedback on and say, like, you know, when when something urgent comes through, here's what the flow looks like. Or when someone wants to say happy birthday to their colleagues, here's how they would post that message. And here's how it would look in your in your flow. So you saw that tweet that I uh, from Patrick McKenzie. Yes. Yeah. He was basically making a feature request to Slack saying like, I would love to be able to send a message to someone, but also indicate that like, hey, this is really not important. Don't respond to it. Don't stop what you're doing. Yep. That notion of urgency. I think that's that's surfacing as one of the most important or one one of the most deep problems that people have with Slack is the, the false sense of urgency. And I think that's, you know, like figuring out how to how to mitigate that and not swing too far in the other direction where like things just get constantly lost because they're not getting seen surfacing that right level of visibility there's a lot of like threading a needle there for sure so i'm going to do that that'll be a good exercise it's always fun i've talked about this in the past the funnest part of drip was was these collaboration opportunities where we're in front of a whiteboard and and hashing out problems so i'm kind of looking forward to to doing that again it's been many months now of just kind of working solo so so that'll be fun i think rob will enjoy it too yeah, I, I love what Rob said about you and he have the ability to whiteboard together for a long period of time. And you know each other well enough and you're comfortable enough that you don't have to be talking the whole time. 
like you can both just be sort of sitting there thinking or sketching or I, I thought that was like just a really interesting little anecdote. Yeah. When you're not as control as someone, you feel the need to keep talking or let's let's keep the conversation moving or let's put and sometimes that's not what a creative exercise a true brainstorming needs. You know, it, it often needs long periods of silence or just saying things that like that sound stupid or are not well-formed ideas and you just say them anyways because getting them out there will unlock other ideas Um, right and you have the trust to be able to do that yeah the comfort yeah exactly Mm -hmm. that's cool so so i think the quicker like teams can get to that and i think that's you know that'll be something important for you to foster with your founding team is like and and maybe you're already there because you have a lot of you know existing relationship with uh, with your co-founders but like being able to do that, I think, is is vital. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so far, so good on that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I dig it. You said you've been working alone for a while. How are you uh, holding up? I, you know, I'm holding up pretty well. I think um, I'm, I'm used to now the, you know, wake up in the morning and feel like I could be working on anything. Like that that kind of vast expanse of <laughs> of not having any limits on on what I'm working on and and so I'm I'm developing some some good methods of like trying to build short checklists for myself or set a few goals for the day. I use I actually have the momentum, I think that's what momentum is the name of it, uh, the browser plugin where it just shows you like the current time and you can like set a small to-do list. And I, I've been using that just for like jotting down as I wake up, like, oh, here's the things I want to work on today. And then every time I open a new tab, it's right there in front of my face. So it that sort of works well for me right now. That and controlling distractions, I think, are the two the two biggest things for me. So I've been trying to keep my phone out of the room, uh, trying to close all tabs that might send notifications, even email. It's a, it's always a struggle, but so far so good. One other thing, uh, level related thing that I'm, I'm thinking about doing that I've been working on is I wanted to get a, a more fleshed out landing page, um, live. So I've been working on some copywriting for that right now. I just have the product hunt page, but it doesn't give you a whole lot of flexibility to, to do a little bit longer form copy. So I've been working on that. And one idea that I had, I sort of riffed on this with with some folks at MicroConf and got some good feedback. I want to give a little more incentive than just like signing up to receive email updates on progress. And I, one opportunity I thought of was, since there is going to be a unified identity on level, there's an opportunity to sort of let someone reserve a handle on level, sort of like you would a Twitter handle. So what I'm baking into this landing page at the bottom, the call to action is to basically reserve your handle. So it'll be level.app slash whatever. And I know anytime I see that on something that some new startup, I, I'm always incentivized to like grab my name. Like, you know, I want to make sure no one takes it. So um, that's a cool idea. I'm stealing that. Yeah, totally. So I was telling, I think I was talking to Josh from Honey Badger and he was like, he was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then at the end of the conversation, he was like, oh, by the way, definitely please email me uh, when, before you do that because I want to make sure I grab my name. So <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. One, So I had a similar idea of like, how do I incentivize people to do something? I was thinking actually in the context of annual plan upsells. And I was like, what can I offer developers that will help push them over the line? And did you ever use Slashdot? Were you ever a Slashdot person? Mm, not really. Okay. So think like basically Hacker News, but you know, earlier. And one of the interesting things about the Slashdot is in every comment you make, it would show your username. And then in parens after that, it would show your user ID number. 
And so there was cache in low user IDs because it meant you had been there for a long time. And so one thing I was thinking about is exposing user IDs in the tuple interface. And if you upgrade to an annual plan, you get one of the reserve block of super low user IDs. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I similarly was thinking like you could show join date, you could show ID number, and and you could have some artificial scarcity of like there's only one username of the exact one you want. So yeah, or some sort like we also were thinking like for our alpha peep like alpha group like maybe some sort of like flare type thing that no one else has like some sort of little in- indicator in the interface which is like hey this is one of the core twenty people that ever came through this yeah something like that. Another thing I sort of did with um, I think I I did this a little bit with Code Tree pre-launch was set up a basic like referral tracking mechanism. So if someone refers other people to sign to sign on, then you keep track of how many people they've referred and then you use that to bump them up earlier in the uh, in line if you do like a gradual rollout or something. So there's incentive to to sort of and all it takes really is someone tweeting out a link that contains their referral code so that their followers can, you know, sign on too. So that could be an interesting mechanism too for like encouraging someone to actually click that tweet button, you know. Totally. Yep. I like that. So I had a couple interesting experiences working on Hong Kong Dan's business was like just like pure fun. Straight up until like the day that we actually started working together in person on Tuple, it was like feeling great, everything's good, this is going to be amazing, super excited. And then like second day in, we were like had a meet, like had a little chat, sit down like okay, like what are the core features for the alpha? What order should they be done in? And like the size of the task started to like be like, wow, okay, this is there's a lot there. This is not an easy MVP. This is hard. There's a bunch of uncertainty around a number of things like what kind of tech and and all this and like had some like definite creeping anxiety and i was like ah there it is was like this this totally hadn't been there at all but you here, knew it, here was it is coming. now <laughs> knew it was coming yeah. yeah but it still took me by surprise and i was like wow this and it felt like for me like it's like this like very physical sensation where it's like i feel it in my stomach it's like oh my god it feels like i'm like borderline ill uh with like concern and like i'm also like rsi in my forearms still kind of a thing I'm having this like pain at the same time as I'm imagining how much work there is. And it's like, oh, and my body just like, just I had this like really strong physical reaction. And I was like, wow, this is, this is worse than I thought it would be. So, so the good news is that was like, that happened like day two, day three, a little bit, but like then it would kind of clear. And last couple of days have actually been really good. The thing that, that struck me was I remember this happened after I left Thoughtbot as well, where it was like the first week after I left Thoughtbot, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? Like I'm like there in the co-working space and I'm like, oh my God, I'm by myself and like, I don't know what to do. And there's so many things I could do. And like, I had the same response then. And so remembering that I think helped me where I was like, okay, yeah. Like when there's a big transition and there's a lot of uncertainty, I have this anxiety that shows up sometimes. But like week two, I was like kind of okay. And like by week three, I was basically fine. And I was like, okay, like I've settled into a bit of a routine. I know like, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to this now. I, I have some like strategies for, for coping with this. So, so, so far, like lately good, but it was like, man, it was, I was kind of surprised at the intensity of it in the moment. Yeah. How about your, your other co-founders? Have they experienced something similar? Have you guys talked about it? I eventually told them that I had, that that, that happened to me. At first I, I didn't, I sort of didn't know. I was like, okay, I'm the CEO. Like, can I talk about this? Is it my job to put on a confident, uh, happy face all the time so that other people don't feel anxiety? Or is it better for me to disclose it and potentially stress them out, but like like get support and build more trust and honesty? 
And I honestly, I didn't really know what the answer to that was. So one thing that was actually really helpful was I did a call with uh, Matthias Meyer, who does uh, was the uh, former CEO of Travis, Travis okay. CI, yeah, uh, who does like uh, executive leadership type coaching. And I saw some like blog posts of his and I was like, oh, actually, you know, this might not be the worst thing to do right now. And so I reached out to him for a call and he, he, he offered some good advice. It was like nice to like bounce this off, off him. And his position was kind of like, yeah, like you guys are trying to build this like a good relationship right now. Telling them what's going on is probably, is probably a good idea. You're trying to get to a point where you really trust each other and you feel comfortable with each other. So consider talking with them. And also maybe they're having it too, which is what you asked. Where it's like, I assume I'm the only one's like freaking out. And they're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're all good. But, but maybe that's not true. So I sort of disclosed what was going on with me. They didn't, they didn't say that they were having a similar thing. But I think we're gonna, I'm going to try to have like at least a weekly retro where it's like, not just like, what do we do? But like, how is everyone doing? Because the thing we're doing is stressful and it's hard. And we're trying to make a thing that doesn't exist. And like that creative process is just always going to be difficult on your brain and sense of identity and all this stuff. So like, let's make sure we're caring for uh, the mental side of it too. I totally understand your hesitancy to like potentially create anxiety in other people that wasn't already there, especially with co-founders. I think that's one of the one of the unique aspects of a co-founder relationship is like you guys are you guys are equally invested in this thing. And part of the role of being a co-founder is not just there to, you know, play a specific, you know, individual contributor role, but it's also to provide that kind of support to each other. I think that's one of the one of the advantages of having that relationship where maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't do that if it was just like a an engineer on your team like yeah you would probably try to shield a little bit of that from them rob and i always had that kind of dynamic where we could talk about that stuff and that's why even early days of drip before i was officially a partner in the business like i was functionally a co-founder because we it was just the two of us from day one and and then we would talk about those types of things um that you normally ordinarily wouldn't you know wouldn't loop a typical employee into so that's good that you guys are talking about that. The disclosing thing after thinking about it and, and talking to some talking to Matthias and all that was like, yeah, this that, that just feels right to me. Like I, I'm not a put on a brave face and hide the emotions person. Like that doesn't work that well for me. Even if it were kind of helpful to other people, I still like I just function so much better when I can get stuff out. And like as soon as I told them about it, and they were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like yeah, this we're doing a stressful thing. And they were kind of like, it's no big deal. And I was like, oh yeah, it is kind of no big deal. Like of course that's happening. Like that's that's normal. That's fine. Um, it doesn't mean we've done something crazy or we should stop or any of that stuff. It's just like, yeah, it's a, it's a normal thing. I also listened to a podcast with uh, Seth uh, Godin in it. Um, what was it called? Uh, Always the, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the Reboot Podcast, um, cool. and, uh, which, is, which is awesome. And he was just like, he's always been saying this, and I just like wasn't ready to hear it or I like it wasn't it didn't make sense like I didn't have the same context but he was talking about how like trying to create a thing that did not exist before is a totally different experience than working on a thing that already exists and it's way harder and it's way more stressful and so it's going to feel painful and you're going to feel unsure and I was like oh yeah of course that's true that makes perfect sense and he said that a million times and other people have said that a million times but until I'm like you know sitting there stewing in it myself I couldn't really be like oh yeah that's that's really the case yeah Something I um, touched on a little bit last time with Rob, too, was like sort of talking about the nature of what it's like to be at the early stages of a software product versus later on where you're just incrementally building features. And it's 
such a different phase. And I'm now like brutally reminded about that every day when I, I sit down, I'm, I'm working on a problem and I look at lines of code written and it may only be, you know, less than a hundred, but I'm so tired at the end of the day. And I, not that I wasn't feeling mentally spent, you know, in the later stages of drip, but it's a different kind of mental taxation. I feel like when you're, you're doing so much like high level thinking about the problem space and it's less about like the the path is so is much less clear in the early stages and you're making so many micro decisions about things that are potentially critical foundational you know things whereas when you when you have like a running business that has customers that are relying on a solid base of features and then you're just making incremental improvements like it's just such a different mode to be in Um, for sure yeah 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 well, I'm glad we have each other to support each other. Yeah, absolutely. Through this process, to, the timing is we nice. We can do it on air, and everyone else who's in a similar stage can can follow along. And <laughs> I, if only we could hear all your stories, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> and those people who are who don't have the same context and situation can hear it and appreciate it on an intellectual level and not really get it, but maybe later. Yep. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Nice. I had a question for you. Yeah. You got time? You got a couple more minutes? Uh, Sure. Yeah. We haven't explicitly decided this, but it's been happening sort of naturally is that I have been focusing on doing things that are external facing, like working on our landing page, coordinating with designers or a designer, talking to people, uh, doing podcasts, scheduling calls, things like that. Uh, And Joel and Spencer have been doing all the technical work. I've written no lines of code in anything that's the product. I don't know if that is a good thing. I'm actually kind of torn. So I can I can see really interesting, like pretty good arguments for both sides where it's like, okay, sales and marketing and all that type thing, like there's plenty to do there and there probably always will be. And having a person doing that almost all the time is probably a smart idea. But I also have a lot of product development and de- like coding experience that I can probably add a lot of value there too. I like programming a lot. Uh, so like if I build a company where I can't program at all because I didn't happen to learn the product as it was being built. That sounds kind of bad. Also dealing with some RSI stuff. So like doing calls is easier for on my hands than, you know, writing another hundred lines of code. So I'm kind of going back and forth. And I was curious what you thought about that. One, I think you got to figure out what's going to make you happy. If the prospect of not writing code sounds like, like maybe you won't be able to do that for the long term or that, or you won't be happiest doing that, then I think you need to consider that it is definitely a full-time job of other things besides code to get a startup off the ground i mean evidenced by you know rob didn't write any any lines of code for drip and he was definitely busy all the time with all the other things i still think you can utilize your skills from engineering and architecture and those types of things even if you're not you know spending most of your time writing code like you could pair with with your co-founders or your team or just kind of be involved in those important decision-making conversations where you still get to apply your skills, but then, you know, the ones who actually go forth and write most of the code are not you. Rob and I would collaborate on a lot of technical things, even though like he's doesn't even know Ruby and doesn't, you know, like that didn't matter because they were mostly high level discussions about how to, how to think about architecture or how to just sort of things that were not quite as nitty gritty, I guess. I think you could still make use of those product design and development skills that you have, just not in a less um, less active role. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, I'm kind of imagining the situation where it's like we're further in and there's like a substantial technical 
artifact has been created. And the idea of being like, hey, guys, like, I feel like it should work like this. And they're like, actually, that's really hard because of the thing we did. And this is going to take a while to do this and, and whatnot. And like, I'll have this disconnect where now I'm like the product owner slash manager who doesn't understand the technical underpinnings of the product. And it's like, mm, I don't know if I want to be in that position. That sounds kind of bad. So I don't know. So you could attempt to, for a while, see how, how in the loop you can stay with, with sort of what's going on on the technical side. I would say like, try that for, I don't know, a few months and see how that see if you're able to keep up with it or if it's just getting to be to the point where you're like you know what this is not the best use of my time trying to stay up to speed on all the the technical nuance um yeah yep that makes sense that was actually something that matthias mentioned on our call was was he said something along, along the lines of think of most things as experiments and like a lot of things are reversible and so like i don't need to say like all right it's june first i am not going to write any code for the product and that will be the decision period it's like, yeah, it turns out by June 12th, I was like, I need to be doing this. I hate doing marketing full time. So let me get in there. And that's just fine. So most, most decisions are not undoable. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you've thought about kind of the subdivision of separate concerns, I guess, that this product will have. I mean, obviously, there'll be desktop clients. There will be some kind of web client, probably, or some kind of at least administration interface for it. So you could also maybe pick and choose the, the areas that you're involved in. And maybe some some of the deeper like technical aspects of the client, you'll just like make someone kind of take ownership of that and you'll be less involved in that. But maybe you'll still be involved in other parts. Right. Um, yeah. And that's already kind of sh- taking shape in that we need a some sort of uh, back end server to hit. Uh, that we will likely will be written in Rails by me, probably. So it could be that a, a couple of weeks from now, I'm slinging Ruby like I always have. Um, and I'm not writing the the guts of other parts. But yeah, I'm still a technical person. I think it's less critical that you necessarily know all the technical details about all aspects of the product. Um, I think the the bigger consideration is, are you going to be fulfilled in your job? Are you going to need a little bit of that, you know, scratching that programming itch and maybe you can get that just from maintaining the rails backend and not you know some of the more deeply technical new things yeah did i say rails backend i mean elixir backend <laughs> are you really uh no, i mean i mean as i'm as i'm thinking about it maybe i think you, I, i'm pro elixir <laughs> yeah like if we're about to start from scratch mm-hmm. the reviews are in and i don't know maybe it's an elixir thing and that'll give me a little bit of that like oh i'm working on a fun technical problem too which is learning this new thing, expanding my skills a little bit. That's not definitely not a far leap from Ruby land compared to other things like like leaping into C++ land or something. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't feel like I was being like irresponsible to try this technology yeah. on this, I think. Yeah. Because it's I not so. such a huge I, I could vouch change. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. All right. Well, that's helpful. Cool. Good. Glad it helped. Yeah. That point about like happiness... I feel responsible for this, the success of this company, uh, obviously. And so it's like, okay, optimizing for my happiness versus optimizing for the best thing for the business. Those are can be in tension with each other. But I think one of the biggest risks is that we don't want to keep doing it anymore. So if I do the thing that I think is best for the business, but I actually kind of hate it, two years from now, how am I going to keep that going? Like, I probably won't want to. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, if you guys were like raising venture capital, then your the things you need to 
you know, structure the business for are very clear. It's like you're structuring for fast, high, fast growth and you do whatever it takes, which means probably eventually selling to the enterprise and hiring a sales team and do like, and there's potentially a lot of decisions that you would have to make that you wouldn't necessarily want to because you wouldn't enjoy that, that structure. And so one of the advantages of being bootstrapped and independent is you can sort of straddle that you can, you can maybe potentially do things suboptimally in favor of making your team happy. And I think that's totally okay. Why even start a company if you're going to turn it into a thing you don't want to work on? Like, I can go get a job that's fun. Like, there are fun jobs. So, like, just do that. Like, to me, the, the freedom and the flexibility was sort of the whole point in a way. So, if I just build my own. When I hear, you know, Chad at ThoughtBot talk about how he still writes code, like, that's probably suboptimal. Like, he's probably... <laughs> he's probably not the best person to be writing code all the time, you know, but it's, but it's what he enjoys. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's right. okay. And he's 12 years or they're like 12 or 13 years into it now. And if he weren't doing stuff he enjoyed, he probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm sold. Cool. It should be fun. Good. There's yeah. actually guides. A couple, I had a couple other questions I was going to ask you, but like the answer is kind of the same thing where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe that's not optimal, but make sure that you like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. and that it's sustainable good. and good it's always good to talk about this stuff too because i have to i have to convince myself from time periodically that that it's worth optimizing for for happiness you know it, it's it is easy to get on the track of like how to optimize this business for profitability or for you know revenue in and it's easy to forget about like wait a second i should actually be enjoying myself too mm-hmm. so yeah it's a good cool. reminder good yeah. all right shall we wrap it Let's wrap it. Cool. Uh, where do people go for show notes? Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Cool. We'll see you next time. See you later. <laughs>